Financial Freedom Show. My name is Rob Berger. I started a little early, mainly just to see like some technical things, how things are going in terms of the video and uh, I guess the audio too. So for those that are a bit early to the show, I think that's just five minutes. Give me a thumbs up or <clears throat> tell me, you know, things aren't looking so good. I'm not getting any warnings on YouTube that the bit rate is too low. So I suppose that's good. I'm getting a thumbs up from James. That's good. By the way, you'll notice I went with the sweater ensemble tonight. No untuck it shirt. Um, I know that's going to be alarming to some of you. And um, hopefully we can all get through this together. So uh, I kind of want to get started, although it's it's still like five minutes. Maybe I'll start answering some of the, the pregame questions. Although I do have, um, I'm going to talk a few minutes about how I pick stocks, which I, I'm going to assure you, when I'm done, you'll be like, yeah, that doesn't sound all that impressive, Rob. Got to be honest. One thing I wanted to mention, I guess before we get to that, I got an email. So when I get emails, sometimes I'll get an email that says, it's a very specific question. Here's my situation. I'm this old. I'm, I'm This is my age. I'm retired. I'm not retired. Here's my income. Here's my social security. What's What should I do over here? You know, whatever. And I, I tend not to answer those questions. For, for starters, I, to answer them, I, I would need to probably ask another 20 questions. But also, it's just, you know, if you want that level of granularity, you really need to just seek out, you know, an investment advisor. I am not an investment advisor. Nor, I, I have never been. I'm just a guy with a YouTube channel. Now, I've invested for 30 years. I don't know what that gets me. Um but, you know, when I'm on the show, I'm obviously not giving investment advice. You know, I'm not charging, obviously. If if someone came to me and said, Rob, I'll pay you $2,500. Will you evaluate my investment portfolio? Let me know what you think. The answer would be no. Um, to do that, I would have to become a registered investment advisor. Now, I've taken the Series 65 exam. I passed it years ago, which is the test you have to take. But you have to do other things, too. And... Um, and so I, you know, just it's just not what I want to do. On this show, you know, you want you want to ask my opinion about a, a mutual fund, an ETF, your portfolio, whatever. I can give you my opinion, right? I can say, well, this is what I think. No different than if you know we were at a Starbucks together. Rob, what do you think about such and such a fund? Well, let me tell you what I think. I think blah 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 blah. Right? That's not investment advice. Um. So anyway, just wanted to share that. Yeah, we're three minutes. Yeah, we're going to get started. Um, so I wanted to begin with uh, how I pick stocks. And the re only reason I'm doing this is because I get this question a lot in email. And I've kind of avoided it, honestly, because I don't have anything really um, amazing to tell you. I don't have some analysis, some spreadsheet, some you know, uh, detailed step-by-step -step approach. I Conceptually, I can tell you what I've done. And there's part of me that kind of wishes I would have never invested in individual stocks, oddly enough, even though they've done very well for me so far. My approach is, first of all, I want to invest in well-known, established companies that have a great brand um, and, and, and have in some way what I think is a durable competitive advantage. And I know, well, what's that look like? We can look at examples. But, but let me act first say what that's not. So <clears throat> I'm not going to invest generally in a brand new company. I'm not going to invest. 
I, I tend to avoid small cap companies. Obviously, those can be great investments, but I just don't feel like I have the bandwidth and the knowledge to evaluate a, a, a relatively new company that doesn't have a track record. A lot of investor, professional investors do, maybe with many with, with success. It's just not what I can do. You know, we talked about FTX collapsing. I would have never invested in FTX. Uh, and there's a number of reasons I wouldn't have. Uh, but one of them is simply that it was too new. I, you know, I didn't have history. I didn't, you know, and there's a lot of other reasons I wouldn't have invested in it. By the way, none of which have anything to do with what's come to light lately, because obviously I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known any of that. Uh, but I'm, 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 I'm also not going to invest in a way, there's some investors, Michael Burry kind of comes to mind in a way. I don't know if this, I think this is a fair description, but he does some incredible detailed analysis and drawing connections between different aspects of the market and the economy and comes together and, with an investment uh, thesis and invests in a company. And to me, that's just amazing that people can do that. But he's like Steph Curry. He's shooting the three-pointers. That's not me. I'm under the basket waiting for a miss. I want to catch the ball. And I'm like a, a two-foot shot. That's what I've got. I just put it back up. That's what I did in high school basketball. I wasn't the guy out shooting 15 footers. I was the guy under the basket collecting rebounds and putting them back up. And that's kind of my approach to picking individual stocks. And so that's, you know, I'm picking companies like Apple and Berkshire, Berkshire Hathaway and Deere and Bank of America um, that in and of themselves, if, you know, you said to someone, well, I'm investing in, in uh, Deere and company. It's like, well, okay. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to, to, to pick that company. But here's where I think the secret sauce comes in, if you want to call it that. And it's not all that uh, impressive. I wait until I think they're undervalued, which means I can wait a long time. You know, I've owned Apple since 2003. I mean, 13. I wish I'd known it since 2003, 2013. But I've only purchased it three times. That's it. 2013, end of 2018, beginning of 2019, when I thought it was undervalued. I haven't bought it this year, even though it's gone down this year. Um, same thing with the banks. I bought them when they were trading under book value. And I'm, but my, my analysis was, look, these are big, big banks, brands. They're, I know their balance sheets are strong, particularly after all the regulations from 08, 09, uh, financial crisis, their balance sheets are strong. Wells Fargo certainly has a number of issues that they're working through, but it's brand new management. We'll see how they do. Um, uh, but th these are com companies that are trading below book value and, uh, unless something goes horribly wrong, that should eventually correct itself. And it did. Uh, I don't know if I don't think they're still trading at book value now, although I don't really know. Let's take a look. I should probably know this, but I don't. Yeah, they're trading over book. Well, Wells Fargo is at 1.13, according to Morningstar. By the way, I just get that on, just put the ticker into Wells Fargo and price to book is right here. I'm sure Bank of America is higher than that. <clears throat> but when I bought these, they were trading below book value. Um, yeah, 124. Uh, and so um, I'm, I'm looking to buy a stock that I think is undervalued, but it's a, a well-known company, a good history. I think a, a sort of a, a durable position in whatever industry they're in. <clears throat> and that's it. I mean, I read their 10Ks. I did a lot of analysis on Apple back in 2013. Not as much more recently. Um, and that's it. Now, 
part of me kind of wishes I hadn't done all of that because, you know, you, you do end up, you know, with a portfolio of individual stocks that you now have to manage. Now, it's not that much work. Basically, I ignore them. Uh, that's how I manage them. But, you know, I think about, you know, down the road, if my wife's ever involved in managing this or, you know, others, you know, there's part of me that just as I've gotten older and done this for longer, I, I value simplicity and individual stocks don't, don't simplify a portfolio. You know, the other thing about simplicity, we think about a simple portfolio, but I've been given a lot of thought, not just to the port, the simplicity of the portfolio, but the simplicity of decisions you have to make. You think about a portfolio as just one fund. You don't have to decide what you're going to invest in. When you, when you have money to contribute, you put it in the one fund. You don't ever have to think about rebalancing. There's no rebalancing. The fund rebalances for you. I mean, so simplicity is not just a question of how many funds you have, although that's part of it, but it can also be about the decisions you don't have to make or that you make but are much easier to make. That's something to think about. All right, that was it. That was quick. At least I thought it was quick. You guys probably thought it was excruciatingly long and who knows what. All right, so I want to jump into your questions. And um, I saw a couple before the show started. Vishnu says... What conditions would the yield of treasury bill, bills be lower than that of money market funds? Well, generally, I would think, and by the way, I, I have no, I haven't gone and looked. Well, I know they're not, I know treasury bills now are higher than money market funds. I'm kind of curious if they're ever, if treasury bill yields are ever lower than money, but they must, maybe they have. But if you think about a treasury bill, you've got basically what, four weeks and up to a year. Money market funds are typically shorter than that. I think we looked at this last week. What's the ticker? See if I can remember the ticker. I can't, I'm sure. Uh, let's look one up though. Vanguard money market. Really? Come on, Morningstar. Hang on. VMFX. Okay. So let's look this fund up. I think it was like it had what's the ticker? Oh, VMF. I think uh it had a duration of like 19 days. And Morningstar is not going to give me anything on it. No. All right. Well, we'll just go to we'll go to Vanguard or to Vanguard and see if it tells us. Here's the Vanguard site. I thought I had a duration of like 19 days. We looked at it last week, I think. Well, average maturity is 11 days. Weighted average life, I'm not even sure what that means. The point is, it's a very, money market funds are very, very, very short term. And the current yield on this is 361, so that's below treasury bills, right? But but the other thing in answer to your question is it also depends what treasury bill you're comparing it to. A money market fund is very different than a 52-week treasury bill. Now, maybe very different, it's extreme, but definitely different. Also, money market funds, though, the flip side is um, obviously treasury bills are U.S. government bonds. Money markets can include corporate paper and other short-term instruments, not, not just you know U.S. government bonds. So um, that could add, in theory, some credit risk, which in theory could add to the yield. Anyway, that's a long answer to say, I don't really know. 
Jay Anderson wants to know if I've ever used Maxify financial planning software. Not really. I paid for it last year. It is on my list to review, so I will be using it. I, I did play around with it a little bit. I found the user interface to be awful. But I suspect it's out, it's it's it, the results of it and the information it provides could be excellent. I've heard good things, but I haven't used it enough at the moment anyway to give an opinion. But I'm working on it. Okay. All right. Uh, Jay Anderson also wants to know if I'd own VNQ, uh, which is Vanguard's REIT uh, ETF, in a taxable account and generally no. It's not the worst I've seen in terms of tax uh, tax um, distributions. Um, we can look at it. I think it, it returned about 3% last year, give or take. Let's see. Again, I'll just show you how to do this. If we go to VNQ, we go to performance, we go to distributions, returned some capital a few years ago. But um, so in 2021, it, it distributed three bucks in income off of an ending nav of 114, so under 3%. But a lot of that could be taxes, ordinary income. And so generally, I try to avoid, or I just don't own REITs in, in, a, in a taxable account. Uh, let's see. Bob says, 250,000, uh, 25% of my IRA, I guess, cash now to intermediate treasury ladder or put it in VGIT. I don't know. Um, I guess it depends on what your goals are, I suppose. Let's go look at VGIT. That's Vanguard's intermediate term, I think. Yeah, inter in intermediate term treasury. I can tell you, this is a lot simpler than a, than a bond ladder, right? Uh, and it's got an, a yield now of 4%. Um, duration of, that's interesting, five years. I guess that makes sense, intermediate term. So I, I guess, you know, I, I don't have an answer. I think my question would be, like, what's your goal and why a ladder? What are you trying to achieve with it? I've never actually built a ladder of anything. I just, to me, it's kind of a hassle. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing or you shouldn't do it. I'm just telling you I haven't. All right. So LTM wants to know my thoughts on Schwab's intelligent portfolio. You don't have to hold 5K in the account only when you first open. Hmm. Should that change anything for the investors? I, well, I don't think so. I'm not a fan of Schwab. So I did an article. Let me see here. Um, if I can pull it up. Here it is. I need to update it. I published it earlier this year, I guess. Um, I like Betterment M1, which is sort of different. Bloom, which I got, I definitely have to update because they shut down. And Wealthfront. Um, and I talk about Schwab in this article. Yeah, I need to, I'll update this tomorrow. Yeah, I interviewed the founder of Bloom years ago. And uh, I thought it was neat because it's one of the few that can help you with a 401k, but they did, they shut the doors. Anyway, um, the problem that I have with Schwab, oh no, got to look at that. Oh, that's that's a screenshot from uh, Vanguard's site. When, whenever I, tr I tried to use their digital advisory and it was broken. Anywho, um, SoFi, I definitely wouldn't use. Uh, by the way, on SoFi, I have a, a friend named Jim. His name is Jim. He actually is a blogger at Wallet Hacks. And I've known him for years. And he was tweeting today that he's been trying to get his money out of SoFi for two months. And they won't give it to him because they're doing some sort of review. 
of what he doesn't know. They can't tell him when he's going to get his money back. It's ridiculous. Anyway, here's here's my comments on Schwab. And, and the thing that I didn't like, among other things, was that they force you to keep at least 6% of your portfolio in cash. And I don't like that. Um, now I don't, I, I haven't updated this since March, so it's possible that that's changed, but to my knowledge, it hasn't. So I'm not a fan of it. I like Betterman. I like Wealthfront. Uh, Dinesh, why uh, are, are Bogleheads obsessed with I get XUS, I assume international investing? I understand they are undervalued, referring to international stocks as measured by price to earnings or price to book, for example. Peter Lynch has said you can wait for the second or third innings. I don't know what that means. Why can't we wait until international is back to stable growth? Well, so the best time to invest would be when they're not back to stable growth, first of all, right? Uh, I don't know what stable growth means or what that looks like. Uh, I invest in international because I want the additional exposure and I'm not convinced that the USA and companies headquartered here will continue to, to outperform the world over my, let's assume I live another, goodness, we'll say 40 years. Uh, you know, I think there'll be plenty of times in that time period when, where international stocks outperform. So there you go. That's my answer. I can't speak for the Bogleheads. Maxilis, good evening from Indy, Indianapolis. I've, I've driven through there many times, stayed there many times. James, I don't know what mom will think about no untucket. Um, she probably, yeah, she probably won't care. All right. Kathy, thank you. She says, I look wonderful and very dapper. You know, I have to confess, I'm not even sure I know the meaning of the word dapper. I certainly know how to use it in a sentence. What is the meaning of dapper? And neat and trim in dress and appearance. Nice. I'll take it. All right. Aaron says, happy Thanksgiving. Absolutely. To everyone. We're going to have a big, big meal at our house. So here, Vinyl uh, has an interesting comment that I'm going to talk about here. He says, I'm here to say that stock picking does work. My portfolio is actually up for the year that the power of conservative blue chip stocks. Well, what does it mean for stock picking to work? First of all, I guess it, it would mean either better returns than depends what kind of stocks you're picking. If they're blue U.S. blue chip stocks, then I guess the S&P 500 or maybe not better returns, similar returns, but lower volatility. Right. I guess that would be the definition. And good for you, Vinyl. I, I can say that they have if that's the definition, they've worked for me as well. I'm not always, I'm not convinced though that they will continue to work. I have a very focused portfolio, heavily invested in Apple. Um, now, as we give money to charity, and I'll be doing that here soon, uh, we'll give Apple stock. So it's going to slowly, the balance will go down. Um, but I'm not, you know, 
I think my approach to picking stocks is a reasonable one. Even though I've had success, I think I have to attribute a lot of that uh, or a, a fair portion to good fortune, luck. Um, yeah. We'll see what the future holds. All right. Let's see here from HB. I'm confused about what to use the APY, annual percentage yield, or seven-day yield for percent. Trying to decide on, I'm not quite sure what the question is, but we can look at. So, okay. So we've looked at these three. So we just looked at VMFXX. That's this one here. It's current yield. Where is its current yield? Yield to date is 1.12. We just looked at its current yield. It's 361, right? Or thereabouts. Yeah. So it's 361. So that's the seven-day SEC yield. You can read the definition here. It's a it's a it's a yield calculation. Um. Uh, uh, determined by the SEC. Uh. The, the thing to keep in mind here is that, and, and wh why do we have this yield? And then the year to date up here, right? And then with different kind of funds, sometimes we'll see the 30 day SEC yield versus, you know, the 12 month yield. The idea is that the, the yields on these short term, well, this is true for anything, uh, but the yields change, right? And particularly when you're dealing with a very short term uh, fixed income fund, in many ways, the the more recent yield, so this is annualized. It doesn't mean you earned 361 in seven days. It's taking the last seven days and then annualizing it. This gives you a, a clearer picture of where the yields for this fund stand right now, okay? But of course, this is going to change, right? I mean, this was as of the 18th. Uh, I don't. I guess they haven't updated it, but um, so this is going to change day to day, right? Now, if we want to look at high yield savings, I'll go to my site, allcards.com. Uh, we'll look up savings accounts. I think we have the highest. Uh, right now we have it at 383 for UFB. And you can find others that are higher, but have limitations, how much you can put in or something like that. If you know of higher than that, please let me know. Um, so it's, I'll say it's comparable right? So this uh, to, to VMFXX, to Vanguard's money market fund, these will be FDIC insured, of course, up to the limits. A money market account, a money market fund, excuse me, a money market fund is not. Now, that doesn't mean it's super risky, but you know, in 08, 09, there were issues with the money market fund, um, with, with money markets generally. They broke the buck, right? They weren't worth a dollar for a bit, and that got everyone pretty excited. Uh, so, um, but now if we go, we can look at money market accounts. These are FDIC insured, different than money market funds. And they, they come in a little higher. The highest we've been able to find is at Brilliant Bank 401. And then uh, T-bills though, let's look at T-bills right now. We'll go to the Fidelity site. We've seen this before. So here we go. So the rates are a bit higher. Um, here's three month, 439, six month, 460. Right now, because of this, if I'm putting cash aside, I'm buying T-bills. I mean, they're super safe. 
they don't offer a significant interest rate risk because they're so, they're so short term. I'm usually buying three or six months uh, and I like the yields. So I don't know if that helps or answers your question, but that's sort of how I think through all of that. Now, if I were going to have sort of a traditional emergency fund, I probably would keep at least several months of it in a savings account just to have absolute quick and it's instant access to it as possible. I don't know how much exactly, but I'd have some in a high yield savings account. All right. So Mark wants to know what I think about using brokered CDs uh, for your bond portfolio or a portion of it instead of bonds. I mean, I think brokered CDs are a perfectly reasonable choice. They 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 trade and act a lot like bonds, right? Because you can sell them, but they'll the, their price will fluctuate based on interest rates. Uh, if we come back to fidelity, uh, you know, I mean, you, you know, you say they're. I don't know if they're better than bonds though. Like if you look at the interest rates now, I can, of course, this is just fidelity. Maybe you find brokered CDs elsewhere that are, that, that are higher paying, but at least in these short durations here, they're comparable. T-bills are comparable or better. Um, I suppose when you get extended out some, if you're going to go longer term, you know, maybe you, you prefer CDs. Um, but I don't see them as dramatically better at all, at least up to one or two years. So I guess part, part of it might depend on, on your term, how long you want the money to be in the fixed in the, in the investment. Okay. So Devin asks, is it a bad idea to spend cash for medical expenses and stash HSA? I think just continue to build it up and not spend it. That's exactly what we do. Um, I do save receipts. I have a folder uh, that we, you know, um, in the cloud with our receipts. And I don't know what's in there now, but we it, it would give us the option of pulling a fair amount of money out tax-free if we wanted to. Um, but yeah, I'm going to, I don't plan on spending. My, my current thinking is I'll start to use it with Medicaid, uh, Medic, Medicare premiums, uh, which is a, a ways off. That may change. I don't know. I mean, you can also use it as effectively like a retirement account if you wait until um, you have to be 65, not 59 and a half. Otherwise, you get 10. It's actually a 20% penalty, I think, if you take money out early for non-medical. I think it's 20%. So you got to keep that in mind. But no, Devin, this is what we do. So I think it's brilliant. All right. Got to say, give a shout out to Noreen and thank you for all that you do keeping this thing humming. Okay. Ron Bartlett. Rob, do you own any crypto? Ooh. Is it at FTX? You didn't ask that question. I don't. Zero crypto. I have owned some, some uh, smart contract like Ethereum and Solano and one other in the past none of it was designed to like, oh, this is going to be a good investment. My theory was I really wanted to understand smart contracts. So I put a very tiny amount in, held it for like a month and then sold it. Um, and yeah, but no, I, I don't, I, I'm not, a. I don't believe, I generally don't believe that investing in something that doesn't generate cash flow and basically requires someone else down the road to be willing to pay more for it than, than I paid for it. The greater fool theory 
I, I, that's just not how I invest. So I, by the way, I, the, you know, the greater fool theory, I don't mean to insult anyone, but the idea is I don't want to, I don't like investments where the only way it can work out for me is if someone is willing to pay more down the, the line and you say, well, Rob, doesn't that describe every investment? No. Mm -mm. Um, certainly for long-term. Um, and, and if you, if you think about a stock and how to value it long-term, it's going to be based on its cash flows, right? Not just dividends, but it's, it's profit, it's cash flows. Uh, and you know, you could take, you could, you could get silly with some sort of extreme, like no one wanted to own Apple. They were giving it away. No one would pay anything for it. It went down to a penny. Uh, well, I would collect as many shares as I could. Why? Because the company is just raking in the cash and I'll be happy to take the dividends. And heck, if I get 50.1% of the company, I'm moving to California. I got a new office. I'm going to, I'm going to have some fun. Probably not going to happen. Anyway, that's my view. <laughs> not on Apple, but on crypto. That's why I don't own gold. All right. So, uh, John wants my views on Amazon. So um, I haven't evaluated the company. I haven't, I don't know if I've ever read a 10K. Uh, so I view Amazon at the moment, and this could be wrong, right? If I've read their 10K, I might have a different view, but I view it as two companies, cloud, right? AWS and an online retailer. Uh, the cloud uh, obviously has been very profitable, driven a lot of their profits. You know, I don't, I'm not plugged into the cloud business this year. So I don't know. I mean, I know Microsoft, I think, had a slowdown in their cloud business. I think that was just based on news reports that I seem to recall hearing when they last reported. Um, you know, so there could be some overall, you know, fluctuations there, particularly if we go into recession, there's maybe less spending. But from what I can tell, just a phenomenal business. But then you have the retail business where margins are not great. It's still competitive. I mean, Amazon obviously has a huge, um, you know, part of the market, but there's plenty of competition. There are going to there 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 have been some labor issues. We'll see where that goes. They're they're laying off a lot or firing a lot of people just to bring down costs, um, which may be a, a smart thing for the business. Uh, but um, among all of that, it's trading. I don't know what its current PE is, but it's always traded at a PE that for me was just too much. Um, and, you know, it's not to suggest that you can't have a value company with a high PE. What is it? Let's see here. <laughs> Look at this. In 2013, its PE was 1,400. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, you know, it's 95. Well, that's 2020. It was 65. Now it's 85. That's just, it's just too much for me. I had a, a great conversation with guy, a guy Spear, who's a, runs a, a fund. Uh, he's written a book, education of a value investor. And he was trying to convince me that it was a great buy. This was years ago and that it was really a value stock. And he gave his reasons. I just, for, again, I'm looking for a layup. That's, you know, I'll, I'll buy a, a company if, if I think it's a layup. And for me, a company that's trading at 85 times earnings is just not a layup. 
Okay. We kind of had this question, Amy. This is a good one, though. She says, in addition to a Boglehead 3 fund portfolio, which would be U.S. stocks, international stock fund, and a bond fund, if one wanted to add REIT, is it best in an IRA account for tax purposes? Yes, that's my view. I, the REITs that I've owned, I own in retirement accounts. Could be a 401k. Yeah. Because of the taxes. Terry says, hello from Napa Valley. Lovely there. I've been there once. Enjoyed it. And then we drove down the coast to San Diego. Uh, so Mr. Comment wants to know if I'm planning to add or sell any Berkshire. Definitely not planning to sell. I did add some this year, not that long ago. I don't know, four or six weeks ago. Probably not going to add any the rest of the year. I've got to fund the HSAs. I've got to fund a SEP IRA. Um, we're doing a kitchen remodel. Not at the moment, but we will next year. So um, probably won't have a lot of money. And I'm not, I guess I could buy BRK inside of SEP IRA or an HSA, but I won't. So, I mean, that to me, if you're going to invest in Berkshire, that's a perfect investment to have in a taxable account. I mean, it doesn't get better than that, right? They don't pay any dividends. <clears throat> At least not yet. Okay. HP uh, is recommending a YouTuber, I guess. I don't know who that is. For value investing. Huh. Well, here, here he is. Uh oh, they invest for dividends. Dividend invest. You know, one thing I'll say about dividends I do like the dividend crowd. I really do. Um, you know, the dividend crowd, uh, here we go. Uh, they're, they're excited about their dividends and they're, they're counting them up. And I like to count my dividends and look at all that. I just, just have to realize that dividends in and of themselves don't, 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 a high yield, it doesn't make it a better investment. But uh, in any event, I'll check them out. No, I've not, not, uh, seen any of his videos before. Thanks for the, um, the recommendation. So Paul says, um, and Paul, glad to have you on the, uh, on the show tonight, the broadcast. I think we're going to call this a broadcast. I like that. It's very fancy. Heavily invested in SP 500 index has been reading about equal weighting SP 500 to help give a boost I guess writing the mid caps up like RSP, can you discuss? I'm guessing RSP is a ticker. It sounds familiar. Oh, Invesco S&P 500 equal weighted ETF. So um, yeah, let's take a look at this. Here's the difference just for folks that are like, what's an equal weighted index? If we look at the portfolio and we come down to the companies, you'll notice that so this fund has 0.29% of its assets in Biogen, 27 basis points in SLB, and all the way down. And in here is going to be somewhere. It's going to be Apple, and they're just not alphabetical, right? And it's you know roughly the same percentage of every company. Thus, it's called equal weighting. Because of that, the average market cap is 
somewhere you can see here right on the line between a, a mid-sized company and a large company. And it's tilted. Yeah, it's still in the blend category, but tilted towards value. Okay, so keep that in mind. Now we'll go to VU, which is Vanguard's S&P. We could use any S&P index fund, but this one is as good as any. So remember the blue dot was down here. Now here for this fund, it's very large and it's all it's up here. They have the same companies. Uh, there could be some minor differences. I don't know, but basically both funds have the same companies, but they have different. They have them in different percentages. So the other fund, RSP, was equal weighted. This is a, a market cap weighted index, which most are. This would be the no sort of a normal kind of index, and you can see Apple's seven percent. Microsoft is five, Amazon is 277 and so on. So it would seem almost like, um, can you see all that that I, was I showing you that or was I not even showing you? I don't know, in any event. Uh, it would almost seem like an equal weighted S&P is more diversified. I suppose maybe in one sense it is. Uh, I've always preferred to have, if I, if I want to have an exposure to smaller mid-cap, to get it in just a smaller mid-cap fund of some kind, that's always been my preference because I just have more control over how much in each. Say I have an S&P 500 as the core, but I put 10% in a small cap value or 10% in a mid-cap value or whatever. Uh, I have more control over the allocation than I would with an equal weighted uh, uh, S&P 500. I don't think it's a bad investment. Um, I do get a little nervous, Paul, when you say writing the mid caps up, I'm, I would look for something that I could just keep for 50 years. And that would mean writing them up and writing it down and around. Anyway. So um, STVCT says, how to think about 529 kids are five and eight? 6% state tax deduction. That's not bad. I still feel I should cover myself first and invest in a taxable account. Hard to guess college costs this far out. I guess I don't know what you mean by cover yourself. I certainly think you should save for your retirement and get out of debt and all of these things before saving for a child's education. Uh, it's kind of like you put on your, your mask you know, on the airplane before you help the kid. Same idea. But I don't know if that's what you mean by cover yourself first. You, Of course, you will get a state tax deduction in some states. Uh, they're limited, though, right? At least like in Virginia, I think we can contribute. I think it's 2,000. And it's a six. Is it two? It's either two or four thousand. And you, we have five and three quarter uh, income tax bracket. The, the real benefit, there's no federal deduction. The real benefit, though, is fast forward to when they go to school and you can pull the money out tax free. So that's the real advantage. Uh, well, they're both advantages, but that's a big advantage uh, of a 529. So, but I do, if, if what you meant is, should I sort of shore up my own finances first? Absolutely. That's my view. So, um, Matt, <laughs> Matthew, Matt, good to see you, man. Would you consider VHT a bulletproof investment? So I don't think, so first of all, I don't consider any investment to be bulletproof not even treasuries. Now, I have no idea what VHT is. Vanguard Healthcare. No, I, I mean, uh, you're obviously investing in the healthcare uh, sector. It's low cost. So if you want, if you want ex exposure to health, the healthcare sector, 
I think this is a great way to get it. But I definitely, you know, it's going to have its ups and downs, its volatility. Let's see here. Um, oops, I'm on the wrong tab. Let's go to risk. You know, standard deviation is 17. That's in line with, say, an S&P 500. Uh, so, you know, you're going to have plenty of volatility up and down. You know, one one might say, well, you know, healthcare isn't going anywhere, right? Well, neither is real estate, neither is technology, neither are utilities, right? So <laughs> if we look at the sectors, oops, sorry, got to go back to portfolio to do that. Right? None of these sectors are going anywhere, right? Uh, at least that I'm aware of. Um, so I would personally, I've never invested well, I've invested in REITs, but with that, with with that exception, I've never invested in a sec sector ETF. Again, doesn't mean it's a, a bad approach. I just prefer the simplicity of, you know, like an S and P five hundred or total stock market. That's just been my preference. By the way, if you have a question for me, tag me in it if you can. I try to catch questions to me that aren't. I'm not tagged in, but I can miss it. All right. Another Berkshire question from Jargon. Your mindset behind BRKB, do you see BRKB performing more like an ETF than an individual stock? So just so we're clear, so BRK, BRK is Berkshire Hathaway. They have two share classes, but they might have more. But two, two common share classes, A and B. A trades for like 400 grand. What's, what's an A share? Let's see here. I've got a faster way to do this. For some reason, uh, Morningstar is not cooperating. Here we go. Berkshire A, $468,922 for a single share. Uh, a B share represents one fifteen hundredth, I'm pretty sure, of an A. It's currently trading at $311.20, but you don't get voting rights with B shares. Um, but yeah, I, I do sort of view it like... Uh, like a mutual fund, because it's it's not it's unlike just about any other company, say in the S and P five hundred. There could be a couple similar to it. There's one in um, Canada. What's it called? Is it is it Fairfax? Fairfax. It's like an insurance. I'm pretty sure they're out of um, in Canada. I'm embarrassed. I can't remember the name of it. Anyway doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it owns companies in just about every sector. It owns operating companies. It owns obviously st stocks. You know, it has heavy, you know, it, it's not, it, it does have heavy bets in insurance, financials, energy, but yeah, it's a pretty broad-based diversified company. All right. Kat says, agree with simplicity, especially as we get older and when we think of our partner. Yeah. And whoever's going to inherit this, whatever you have, if any. Um, and, and the thing is, in a taxable account, once you get built in gains, it's hard to change what you're doing. I mean, you can always sell, but then you're going to pay taxes. Um. 
So I see this comment here, Noreen. I just don't know what the question is. <laughs> if I missed it, I don't know. Maybe I've answered it. All right. So Ethan says, I'm currently 100% equities, but I'm thinking about adding bonds up to maybe 5%. How would you go about it? All at once or dollar cost average? Well, first thing, are you taking money? Are you, is it, is it going to be new contributions in which, or are you going to sell equities to invest in the bonds? The reason I ask that is because I wouldn't trigger any taxes. Now, maybe this is all in retirement. I don't know. But I wouldn't trigger taxes to do it. Uh, at least I don't think I would. Maybe, maybe there's some exceptions, but I don't think I would. Um, but if taxes aren't an issue, I would pick the allocation and I'd just do it. That'd be my approach. If you're, I'll say this. If you're going to dollar cost average, come up with a plan in advance, put it in writing and follow it no matter what. The problem with dollar cost averaging is then the market starts to move and well, maybe I should wait or more now. or And we start really almost trying to time the market, even though we might, it might not feel that that's what we're doing, but that's really what you're doing. All right. So Josh wants to know if I've read um, Schiller's Irrational Exuberance, which, uh, which is a well-known investing book. Do you think he is too bearish on stocks overall, or do you think his feel, his feel that stocks are too risky is valid? I so irrational exuberance, if I read it, it was a long time ago. So this is, um, but you have to understand, this was a different time period. Now, I don't know if he's, um, maybe he's updated it. Let's take a look. Here's the book. So 2006, but I thought actually it came out, there's a version of this, that, yeah, this is the third edition. So this was like, it. didn't this originally come out in the 90s? In any event, I don't know if his comments in the book apply to today. Maybe they do. I don't know. Maybe they do. I mean, the the the, the cyclical PE is still quite high um, that, he, um, that he tracks. So maybe he would say we're still in that period. I don't know. But it's been forever since I read this book. And um, I'm trying to remember when it was originally published. Here we go. Let's see if this tells me. It does not. Maybe this will. 2001. So, you know, it was, a, it was a different time period, but I don't know. I don't know his current thinking on the stock market. So Jargon says that there are 36, but I, I, and they're giving me their asset allocation, but I don't understand it. It says 50% ETFs and then 50% stocks. And they want to know if that allocation is too aggressive. What's the 50% ETF? What kind of ETF? Is it a bond ETF? 
I don't, I don't know what the allocation is. If you can help me with that, I'll give you my two cents. All right. So Kevin says, I'm investing into long-term corporate bond fund ETFs. Do you like those? They pay a monthly dividend. Um, I'm generally not a long-term bond investor. That's true, whether it's treasuries or corporates. Uh, I have no sense as to where the yield is on long-term corporate bonds versus like, I don't know what the, I don't know what the spread is between long-term corporate bonds. Let's see if we can find it. Long-term corporate bonds versus long-term treasury bonds yield. It's a massive Google search. Yeah, that's not going to tell me. Fred probably has, uh, the Federal Reserve probably has data on this. But I don't know. So I don't really have an opinion specifically on long-term corporate bonds. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of bond funds are going to pay, I think all of them that I have ever had, pay a monthly dividend I'm trying to think if, well unless there's zeros like a treasury bill um so i don't know let's look at vanguard's got to have a long term right vanguard long term corporate bond fund here it is vclt let's check it out So it's it's current yield around 578. Um, so the issue here, I'll tell you the risk you have, is that if 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 we if if the Fed succeeds in um, bringing inflation back down and 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 then rates go back down a little bit, this fund we can look at its duration. Twelve. That's not huge, but you know one a one percent reduction in interest rates will cost this fund roughly twelve percent. Um, what does, uh, let's see here. What's their long-term treasury fund? What's its yield? Well, this is its trailing, but I don't see their SEC yield. They're, they're hmm, interesting, but let's go to their portfolio. A little bit longer duration. It's going to yield less, though, right? Because it's there's less credit risk with the government than a, and a corporate bond. So I, I guess at the end of the day, Kevin, I don't really have a strong opinion one way or another. I think as part of a diversified portfolio, they, they, they could be okay. Again, I'm just not a long-term bond investor. I think particularly in this interest rate environment, that would that would that would concern me. I guess if we're actually, and I, I got that wrong, if interest rates go back down, the value of your bond will go up. I guess the, the risk is that rates keep going up. So you're, it's the risk that the Fed doesn't get a hold of inflation and rates go up in any event. Okay. Let's see. Dinesh wants to talk about a modified Paul Merriman four-fund portfolio, 20% VU, 20% VTV, 15%. This, this is a modified, 
Is it fair to call this a modified Paul Merriman four fund portfolio? Because you've got one, two, three, four, five. You have seven funds. It looks awfully complicated to me. And I don't know what some of these are. VU is, of course, the S&P 500. VTV, I know the ticker, but I can't remember what it is. It's, oh, just the value. Okay, that's fine. IJR, I know that one too, but can't remember it. Oh, it's a small cap. So you have small cap, and then you have AVUV, which is a small cap value, right? We've looked at that one. VEA, which is, is that, um, oh, developed markets, right? And then I don't know what VSS is. All world excluding U.S. small cap. That's interesting. It's a FTSE all world excluding U.S. small cap. Does that mean it has a U.S. large and mid cap? No, it's all non-U.S. equity. That seems like an overlap to VEA, but maybe it's not. Maybe I'm missing something. I don't know, Dinesh. It's a fairly convoluted, that's the wrong word. I, I, I can't help but wonder if you could accomplish the same thing with fewer funds. I could be wrong. That's my reaction to it, though. Okay. Did you see both Michigan? I don't know if VJ's on the chat on the on the broadcast tonight. Both Michigan and Ohio State struggled. Michigan, I mean, really down to the wire. Adam says, I just discovered your channel. Thank you for the information you provide. My sons are 18 and 17. I've been talking to them about getting started with $500. Best advice. My best advice is that they get started with $500. <laughs> Um, kind of had a similar question last week. I still like index funds. I think it's important to teach them that early, but also if they wanted a couple of shares of a company just to follow it, it's pretty exciting. I think that'd be good too. Um, if they can, depending on what it's going to be for, but if it's long-term and they've got, they're making money, they've got a job, boy, a Roth IRA at that age, that'd be great. We were watching, uh, the equalizer, um, which is kind of, it's an entertaining show, I guess. It's a little goofy. Uh, but there's a character in it. His name is Dante. He's um, a police officer and he's got two sons. I don't know if he's divorced or his wife. I don't know what the, this backstory is, but it's just him raising his two sons. And I don't know how the, old the kids are, maybe middle school. And there's this scene where he's feeding, he's, he's, he's made breakfast for them. They're there in the kitchen eating breakfast and he's quizzing them on financial information. What's a stock? What's a bond? And they're just ripping off the answers. It was great. All right. Ah, so uh, Bob wants to know why new episodes of the YouTube channel aren't being uploaded to the podcast. Uh, yeah, that, that will be corrected soon. My podcast uploader has been busy and traveling and I needed to get him more material to upload. So what I do is I take the YouTube videos, we just upload them as a podcast. And um, I expect more to be uploaded this week. He now has access to the files he needs. And so, yeah. All right. 
the pan mentions that Betterment's now charging a minimum of $4 a month. Yeah, I saw that. Does that, I'm curious, does that, um, let's do it. Let's do a poll. Let's see here. If you use a robo advisor, which one? Question mark. And we'll do Betterment, Wealthfront, I don't know. Um, I guess we'll put SoFi in there. And then we'll add other. I can only have four options. I'd be curious. And I guess part of the question, not so easy on a poll, but like that $4 a month minimum charge, does that bother people? I guess it depends how much you have in there and how, if it affects you or not, right? All right. So um, someone with, an, with, a, with, with, with a, a, a YouTube username that can't be pronounced says, SoFi checking savings accounts have been good so far and they don't, but they don't like their investment page. Uh, I don't have any SoFi accounts, but I will say their checking and savings accounts do look pretty good. At least last time I looked at them. Um, pretty good interest rate. Let's see. SoFi checking. 3% for a checking account. That's not bad. I don't know if there are limits. Of course, I don't keep a lot in our checking account, but you know, if you did, I mean, the thing about that kind of thing is you could just have one account if you wanted to cover checking and savings. I don't know if that's a good idea. Sometimes I, I like to have savings separate, but they have a savings account so you can separate. All right. So uh, Bob and Kathy, uh, I watched you were creating a pay, uh, retirement paycheck uh, from an IRA video. Do you do you dividend reinvest in the IRA or take dividends as income? Well, so first of all, I don't need to spend my investments at the moment. Having said that, I, I automatically reinvest dividends in retirement accounts. I do not automatically re reinvest them in taxable accounts. And I don't see any reason. Now, once I start spending... I probably will continue to do that because I don't think I'll have to touch retirement accounts until we hit RMDs. And then, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. You're just going to pull out the RMD, whether you do it once a year, twice a year, every month. It depends on, I guess, our cash flow needs at that time. But I'll probably still automatically reinvest the dividends, even if, you know, whatever, a week later, wherever we've got our money, they automatically pull out the RMD and send it to us. It doesn't really matter. They're going to, it doesn't matter whether they take it from a cash account because I didn't reinvest the dividends or I did reinvest the dividends and they sell some shares. It doesn't matter, right? They're still going to take out X dollars and you're going to be left with Y dollars. In the taxable account, I'll never automatically reinvest for tax reasons. I'll want to direct that money to a specific investment and it may, may not be the one it came from, right? Just depends on rebalancing and valuations if it's an individual stock. Yeah, that's my approach anyway. <laughs> Spencer says, gonna start from the beginning on 3X speed. I didn't, you, didn't even know you could do 3X speed. I thought 2X was the most you could do. 
All right. Norris wants to know, I, I don't, uh, out of 190 countries in the world, and is that how many there are? Okay. Which one has better long-term prospects than the USA? I don't know. Maybe none? I'm, I'm not sure. It's a good question. Omar wants to know my thoughts on VASGX as a forever fund. It's like a BFF. Whoops. Oh, it's a life strategy fund. So here it is. Let me just see what the, um, is this the 80-20? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I think this is a great forever fund. Now, I would not, I'd be a little uncomfortable holding it in a taxable account. Um, oh, you said just keeping it in retirement. I think it's a great fund. I mean, if the allocation is what you want. Um, you know, one I've been looking at uh, a lot that's uh, all equity is as Avantis, 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 Avantis. I don't know. Um, is it AVGE? Yeah, they're all equity markets ETF. I think looks great. I haven't dealt, you know, dug into it. We've talked about it a little bit, but that doesn't have any bonds and yours does. And so it's probably the allocation you want, but I think it's great. You know, um, I don't think Fidelity offers any index fund, uh, index-based balanced funds like life strategy, which I think is a bummer. They do offer um, some asset allocation funds. Uh, and there's some other ETFs that do. But when you look at... Here are some of their target allocate. They call you know there's target date right where you're 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 trying to hit a date when you're going to retire. Well, these are target allocations or asset fidelity asset manager. They're target allocation funds. You're hitting a specific allocation. In this case, the 85% refers to stocks, and all the way down. But if you go to this fund, you can see its expense ratio is 70 basis points which tells you it's an actively managed fund. By the way, it doesn't mean it's, its outcome has been terrible. Maybe it's been great, but I'm just not going to invest in that kind of fund. Not that that wasn't your question. I'm just pointing out that I don't think Fidelity has a comparable offering that's based on index funds that I'm aware of. Maybe you guys know of one. So Jay wants to know about high yield savings accounts for a trust. Well, I mean, just... You know, high yield savings account. I, I, well, I guess you'd have to have it somewhere that offers trust accounts, but I think mo certainly the banks will. Um, I mean, if you go to, I think we've got the list of like the best ones. You know, I, I so it depends on what you're doing with it and how often you're going to use the money. Is it going to stay in the trust long term? Uh, and and the reason I mention that is. You know, the APY is important, obviously, but, you know, you may have, like, you may want a bank where there's a physical branch, right? Or you, you, you may want a bank where you find just the website and the app easy to use. And I can't speak to any of these in that regard. Um, 
you know, you get down to like a bank we've all heard of. Uh, well, there's Synchrony Bank. I don't know if that rate is up to date. Oh, it is good, three twenty-five. Um, but you know, here's a list of some of the high, highest APYs we can find. If you again, if you know of of higher ones, please let me know. I'll add them to the list. So Kat wants me to compare total U.S. stock funds versus total international. I think we can do that. We're going to just go to portfolio visualizer. So the way I would probably do it. So if we, we can we can compare specific funds. The problem is, you know, they'll only go back as far as the fund's been around. But I think we can just use asset classes here. So here we are, and we'll do um, U.S. market. 100 uh and we'll do um global market excluding that the ex hyphen us is excluding the us and you said last 20 years so we'll do that we'll go to we'll just go to 2000 and we're going to assume a lump sum for now um so here it is and so the U.S. stock market has crushed the global, international market, right? Uh, what's interesting, though, is if you come down here, this is sort of the timeline. Blue is U.S., red is global. You can see red Red was actually crushing, not, well, yeah, now crushing, well ahead. Um, and, and in fact, it, it was still ahead until 2012. For, for 12 years, it was still winning. And for 13 and a half, it was basically neck and neck. It wasn't until this more recent bull run that it really, the U.S. stocks took off. Um, so it, I think it would, my view is, it would be a mistake to extrapolate the future based on the last eight or nine or 10 years. Now, some of you are probably sitting in your home saying, Rob, why don't you go back further though? All right, fine. We'll go to 72. And we're going to see the U.S. does much better by a long shot. But again, you know, it depends what time period you're looking at, right? Um, international stocks really outperformed for a long period of time. Then they were neck and neck. And then the U.S. took over, but then it got close again. And so, yeah, that's the history. I'm not sure. The, the more interesting question really is, what do we do about that? Does that mean we don't invest in international stocks? Well, for some of you, that's what it means. Okay. Um, anyway, there you go. I, okay, so this is interesting. So Karen wants to know, do you have any suggestions on what to do if an online bank doesn't allow you to withdraw your money? Also, have you seen Severance? It's really good. Oh, Severance is phenomenal. I can't, the second season hasn't come out, right? That's still a ways off. Second, here was the thing. I guess this is kind of a spoiler alert, but this was, you know, uh, you know, once you figure out what's going on and then, you know, but this didn't really hit me. Maybe this is obvious to all of you, but this didn't hit me until towards the end of the, se the, the first season. 
was that if you're if you're the version if you've not seen severance none of this will make any sense if you're the version of the person that's working at at at, at um lumen is that the name of it anyway um you 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 go to leave for the day you you go you go to the elevator as you're going up your brain switches and and so it's almost like you go to sleep in a way and and then you know how you when you wake up it's like no time has passed at all well, when that happens, the door it's like they get in the elevator and to them, when the elevator door opens, they're back at work the next morning. It's like there's never any rest. It's a constant get on the elevator, go home. And it feels like a second has gone by. The door's open and you're you're walking out to go to work. And the same thing for the other person. Kind of creepy. Um Has it already started? Oh, filming will begin. Yeah, there is filming that now. Anyway, great show. What was your question? Ah, yes, I, I have a suggestion. And I'll show it to you. You can submit a complaint about a financial institution to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And believe it or not, it, this works. The, the banks pay attention to this. So if you Google CFPB complaint, you'll find this page. And they actually have a database of complaints. Let's see if I can find it quickly. So you could look up a bank. Read complaints. Look, they've got a million complaints, all data. Let's do Ally Bank. What do we get? 1,600. So we can we can go through and look at complaints about Ally. And um, one of the things that they track here, I don't know how well you can see it, but if the bank offered a timely response. So the CFPB tracks not just your complaint, but the financial institution's response. I think this could this could work for you. At least it's worth a try. Days, happy Thanksgiving to you too. Uh, do I think student loans will be forgiven? And I, I don't think, so. well, <laughs> so here's my take on it. Courts have 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 issued an injunction against the federal government. It's what up to ten grand, I think, from moving forward with it. I suspect that it's. I think there's a very good argument that President Biden doesn't have the authority on his own to do this. He can't spend government money unless Congress says, "Here you go. Here's money you can spend." Now. His argument, and I say his, I mean, it is under President Biden, but the Department of Education is saying there is a provision that basically allows us to do some things uh, when we've got a real serious situation on our hands. That's not the words they use in statute, but it's good enough for our purposes. And the serious situation is COVID. Well, but not really. I mean, if President Biden had tried to do this in early 2021 when he first took office, I think maybe the argument could have been made, but now 
We're no longer shut down. Unemployment is low. There's more jobs available than people looking for them. I think it's a, a, a stretch. Now, courts tend to be reluctant or, or give the benefit of the doubt to the government when it, you know, when it comes to interpreting statutes like this and regulations. But I think for a president with the stroke of a pen, effectively, to spend almost a half a trillion dollars on very mm, shaky grounds. But if it went to the Supreme Court, you know, uh, uh, which, who was it? Um, I can't remember her name now. Who were the justices on the Supreme Court? Amy Barrett, Justice Justice Amy. It was, it was her, I think. I think it was just Justice Barrett had denied some emergency application for a stay, but that could have, I mean, we don't know why. They don't write decisions on that. And, and my, my hunch is, the big issue is who has standing to challenge what President Biden has done. Now, when Republicans take over in Congress, they do. The House can. The Democrats are not going to challenge Biden, obviously. Um, but I think there's a good, I, I would say, I, I would give it better than 50% odds that student that, that what President Biden is trying to do will not succeed. And I could be oh so wrong. But you asked me. That's my opinion. So um, Vishnu wants to know, what is the future of BRKB, Berkshire, when Warren Buffett is no longer in charge? Well, yeah, it's a big question for everyone. C clearly, the Berkshire is a better company with him, obviously, than without him. He's already, though, it's not, well, first of all, he's not in charge of operation of the operating companies, and he's not in charge of a, a big chunk of their investment portfolio. He's turned the, that over to others. Um, I, but yeah, I, I, I think it will be a, obviously be a loss, but I think the company should do just fine. It, it, will it have the same run that it had over the last 50 years, not even close, but a, a big part of that isn't just Buffett. It's the size of the company. They have so much capital now, uh, you know, and Buffett has said this, he said, you know, don't count on me beating the, the, the S and P 500, you know, he, he could clobber it if you gave him a million bucks to in invest, but when you give him a couple hundred billion, it gets tricky. Is VTI more tax efficient than Boo? Well, I, I don't know. I would think they're about the same. We can look. Kind of. We just get a rough idea. So this is VTI. Last year it distributed what? $3 in income, more or less. I mean, 242. Of course, dividend yields are lower right now, um, or, or certainly were last year. But that's... Uh, you know, I don't know, 1.2%, maybe one two 2.5, something like that. Um, you math majors can check my math. And then VU, we can just look at the yields. Let's just look at the yields. The SEC yield is 163 on VU. It's not going to be much different, I wouldn't think. Yeah, 155. Um, and and the and, and this kind of makes sense to me because VTI has smaller companies, many of which don't pay yield, they don't pay dividends. Now those smaller companies don't get a ton of the capital, right? Because it's a, a cap weighted index, but it's a little bit lower. 
So I guess in theory, you could say this one's a little bit more tax efficient, just based on that very quick analysis. What's the 12 month difference? 160 for VTI and yeah, 164. It's insignificant in my view. It may be important to you. All right. So this is a good question. What's the highest expense ratio that you would pay in a mutual fund or ETF? Um, I would say probably 20 basis points, maybe 25, but I certainly wouldn't have a portfolio that averaged that. It would have, my, I want my portfolio to be under 10 basis points on at weighted average. And the last time I checked in personal capital, it was seven basis points, I think. All right. Kevin wants to know if bond funds are, are good inside a Roth IRA. Well, they're good in the sense that the interest isn't, you know, you're, you're shielding it from taxes, at least at the, uh, you know, you're shielding it from taxes. Of course, that could be true of any retirement account, at least for the moment. I like, as I've said before, I want my, because the Roth is tax-free, I want it to get, I, I always like to say, as fat as a tick. Um, hat tip to my mom for that one. Uh, so I put equities in our Roth. Okay. So Marcus wants to know how to buy treasury bills uh, on the secondary market. In other words, not new issue on, on well, Vanguard or Schwab. I've bought them. Let's see. I don't know how I'm going to be able to show you this without logging into my account, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> so I don't know how to show you this. There is a good article on this, actually. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Here it is. I think this is it. Yeah. I don't know how up to date this is, but it's on the Finance Buff website. I don't know. I don't know if I know the person behind this site or not, but um, so here's the article, how to, how to buy treasury bills and notes without fee online brokers. Um, and the thing I like about it shows fidelity. We can go fidelity. It gives you screenshots, um, walks through, and that's fidelity. You mentioned uh, Vanguard. So there's Vanguard um, walks through a number of screens. I don't know if, you know, if, if the screens have changed since he, he published this, but and there's Schwab. So that might be useful to you. Well, so Moped Mike says the high yield online savings accounts have a bad rep regarding withdrawals. That could be, I can tell you, I've, I've used over the years, I had an orange ING. Remember those guys way back when Capital One bought them? So I've had orange, I've had Capital One, I've had American Express, I've had CIT, I've had Ally. I think I had American Express for a while. Um, anyway, maybe some others. I've never had an issue. You know, you get my money back in a couple of days. But... 
All right. Looking for more questions. I'm so far behind. I'm answering questions. I'm in the comment section. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm in the comment section, comments that were that were made at 721. All right, I'm scrolling to the bottom. I'm gonna start from the bottom up. That's what I should be doing, mixing things up a little bit. Really, I could just play chess. And you guys could comment back. And you guys are answering your own questions, which is great. Ah, let's go back to the poll. And we've got a new poll. So uh, let's see here. It's funny. I come here and um, YouTube wants me to insert an... It's weird. They keep asking me to insert an ad into the live stream. I don't even know how to do that. So 11% that answered. So 47 votes. So, you know, 11% use Betterment, 9 Wealthfront, 11 SoFi, 70% other. I'll have to, I'll have to uh, ask about robo-advisors later. But here, here's the question that someone wanted me to ask. Where to go? Sam wants me to ask this question. Here we go. Should student loans be forgiven? Yes or no? I'll add an option. I don't care. There you go. It's a good poll. My, my audience tends to skew to the older, and I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess that the, the no's are going to win this, but I could be wrong. So. Um, Vinyl says, I, for, I forgot Rob is a lawyer. Well, I'm a, a, a former, I'm a retired lawyer. We will get a legal, good legal analysis of this issue. I'm guessing that's the whole student loan thing. One thing I'll mention, though, about that kind of issue is um, on the Supreme Court, you have, I think you can put justices in three categories. You have justices that would be considered liberal that I think give a more, mm, I'll say, robust interpretation of of the Constitution and laws. They're not so much beholden to sort of a literal, you know, interpretation of a document. Then you have conservatives on the other side that say, no, no, that's, we do need to be literal. You know, we need to look at that, you know, the actual intent in a, in a, in a more literal way. That, By the way, that's nothing new. I think that describes the court for as long as certainly I've been alive. But like you have like Ju Chief Justice Roberts, he's kind of in the middle and he'll do things that are clearly, I think, outside, he'll color outside the lines, so to speak, but not necessarily on con on what I would call controversial topics. So for example, and the one that comes to mind is when I was at the PCAOB, there was a case that said, uh, the way in which Congress set up the, the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board was unconstitutional. And here's the truth. It was. Uh, and the reason it was, was because imagine, imagine if Congress said, we've got a new department, we're going to fund it with a lot of money and give it a lot of power, but Mr. President or Mrs. President, you can't touch it. You have zero control over it. It, it can run by itself and you can't do anything with it. Well, 
that would be a violation, right? We've got this checks and balances, three parts of our government, right? And so the executive branch has to have control over this thing that Congress just created. Well, what Congress did was say, all right, uh, the board at the PCOB is appointed by uh, the, the SEC. And then in turn, the SEC chairman appointed by the president, this idea that the president was sort of two steps away from controlling the PCOB. It's a little more complicated than that because they have four calls removal and all these other things, but it was clearly unconstitutional. What, what Roberts did in the majority of the court was basically say, well, that's clearly unconstitutional. A strict interpretation would say, therefore, we're invalidating it. Done. PCOB don't exist anymore. It's not what he did. He changed the statute. He rewrote it. And you say, well, wait a minute. I don't, that, uh, I don't think they're allowed to do that, are they? No, they're not. Did anyone really care? No, because it was kind of like, yeah, but this is the best outcome. Uh, yes, yeah, you know, so, and I was working there at the time. I was kind of thrilled to still have a job. So I got that, you know, uh, so he's kind of in the middle. So I, you know, the, the student loan thing though is different. It's not, you know, the PCOB had existed and it, there was inspections going on, enforcement cases to, to, to rule it unconstitutional would have created a complete and utter mess. The student loan thing, nothing, there's no mess. Nothing's happened. You know, you either forgive them or you don't. The, the student loan. So it's a little different, but it's an interesting court. And um, I don't know what's going to happen. All right. Right now, by the way, the vote is 72 to no for no. 19% say yes. Nine of you, you don't really care. Fair enough. Well, um, so Randall wants to know the advantages between a money market fund and a broker versus, say, a high yield savings account. Well, let's assume the yields are the same. I think it's probably a question of convenience. I mean, the, the savings accounts FDIC insured money market fund is a very secure investment, but it's not FDIC insured. So if that's important to you, you'd want to go with the savings account beyond that. You know, if you were parking it somewhere and you plan to invest it at some point, I'd probably just keep it in the brokerage account, you know, in a money market fund, but you, you didn't, you don't have to, you can transfer. I mean, Transfers from a bank to a broker take, you know, a day or two. I mean, they're quick. So, yeah. <coughs> All right. So, um, Bob and Kathy, again, want a recommendation for an advisor. I can... Um, I can show you a list I've got. I'm going to be adding to this list, by the way. Um, here it is. If you just Google a list of low-cost financial advisors and throw my name in if this doesn't come up, um, one thing I always stress, don't view this as a recommendation. Do your due diligence. I've used Mark before. I, I've known Rick for years. Um, I... Of course, I know of Vanguard Advisory Services. Oh, I got to change the font on that. I know John. I, he was on a panel with me at, at the Bogleheads Conference. I've linked to a couple of other lists of flat fee planners and advisors. So I do have a couple more that I need to add to this page, which I'll be doing. 
What else we got? What time is it? 8.22. So Omar says that he actually owns AVGE. That's the Avantis All Equity ETF. It's a fund of funds. If you look, if we actually look at what it owns, you'll see that like like a like a lot of target date retirement funds and life strategy funds, it owns other funds, right? So just divide your money between other Avantis funds, and we can see them here. Here they are. Um, but he says he's looking at VASGX because AVGE doesn't include bonds, which is correct. It doesn't, um, which is actually, for me, I think what one thing I like about it, because I'm thinking about AVGE for a taxable account. I don't know. It, probably is, is it, it hasn't been around long enough to have any distribution, so I don't know. That would be one thing I'd have to think about. All right. What else we got? So this is interesting. So Robert says, I have used Betterment for a while. If you ever choose to transfer the assets to a regular brokerage house, it's a total nightmare. I'd be curious to know what happened, Robert. I was keeping my credit card rewards, as you guys know, at Betterment. I transferred them. I didn't have any issues. I don't know. Uh, so Sam wants to know, can you take an RMD from a traditional and put it in a Roth? Uh I think the answer is going to be no, but you could always do a Roth conversion. So you could take some, if you take money that's in a traditional IRA, you can convert it to a Roth, right? But that conversion wouldn't count, I'm pretty sure, although I'm no tax expert. I don't think that would count as part of your required minimum distribution for the year. And once you t take the RMD, you can't then just shove it into a Roth, right? There are contribution limits and you have to have earned income. Um, does a Roth convert? I, there's no way it counts. There's no way it counts as an RMD. Let's see if I can get a quick answer. If you don't need your required minimum distribution from your traditional IRA, it can be reinvested in a Roth. Yes, assuming that you're eligible for Roth based on your income. That doesn't even answer. This is Investopedia. That's not helpful. Does anyone know the answer to this? I'm, I can't. It can't count. But why am I not getting it? It seems like an obvious question. Oh, here we go. So Fidelity says, I don't know how well you can read it, but um, Roth conversions do not satisfy the RMD requirement. It says it 
right here. Although you can use all or part of the RMD to pay the taxes due, they're talking about from a separate conversion. Anyway, that's my belief. You guys will correct me if I'm wrong, which I could be. I'm frequently wrong. All right. Now, Michael is causing trouble. Hang on. He wants me to bring back the, the messy shelf. What I'm going to end up with back here are more books, which is a, more of a practical consideration than a staging situation for what it's worth. I'm reading a great book, by the way. I've only read like 10 pages. Um, um, see if I can pull it up. Here it is. Destiny. So this is a book. Here it is. Destiny of the Republic, a tale of madness, medicine, and the murder of a president. Uh, and it's by Candace Millard, who I don't, I don't think I've read anything of hers. I don't know her, but I've only read like the first 10 pages of this book. Uh, it's basically, I'm, I, I'm gathering a biography of uh, President uh, uh, Garfield, uh, but it's, it's beautifully written. I really just love her writing style. And it's, it's, it's just, it's it, so far it's, it's, it's a, gr it's a great story. I mean, it's almost like it, it's fiction almost. I mean, it's written in a way. I just really like it. Like I said, only read like 10 pages. I really shouldn't read the comments backwards because I get something like this that says, I think it's probably one of the best intros to retirement financial independence books out there. I've gifted several copies already. The problem is I have no idea what book they're talking about. I guess I could keep moving up. Oh, here we go. Maybe they're talking about my book. I don't know. Dad says, why don't you mention your excellent book a little more uh, when quite a few of the questions here would be covered in the book? <laughs> I don't know. That's what I should do. I should buy like 50 copies of my book and line the walls. But then it would look like they're not selling. You know, I've, I've got an oversupply. I'm overstocked. I don't know why I don't talk about talk up my book. Maybe I should. Retire before mom and dad. Let's see what people are saying about it. Here it is. It's got decent reviews, 4.6. Let's look at the most recent. All this should be taught at the high school level from this book, every bit of it. Again, great book. Oh, good. And this was written by someone named Great Book, so that you know they know what they're talking about. I, I Sometimes I like to go to my, my worst. Let's see, like the, let's look at the one percenters. No review. Oh, nice. No reviews match my, uh, I, that can't be. There's... There's 1% our one star. How can that be? Huh. Maybe I should. Okay, how about a two star? Here we go. Thought this book was more for a beginner. Didn't really live up to its expectations. Hoped for more. I don't know. I thought it was kind of a beginner book. All right. Well, that's the two star. Okay. Anyway, yeah, that's, I don't know why I'm looking at bad reviews of my book on my live on my live broadcast with my sweater ensemble. I'm just not a good marketer. Okay.
So Harris, we'll end the show with this question. It's from Harris. He says, does a one, one ETF portfolio, VU or VTI, make sense? Uh, so I personally would be uncomfortable putting all of our money in VU or VTI. But some would say it's not a bad approach. In fact, Warren Buffett has said, you know, he would say VU, maybe 90% and 10% in treasury bills. That's what he'd recommended the trustees do with his, his the money he's going to leave uh, his wife. Uh, I would personally be uncomfortable with that. I, I need more diversity. Um, but, um, you know, I think what's the JL Collins portfolio? It's pretty simple. He wrote The Simple Path to Wealth, right? And his portfolio, I think it's just v, it's I think it's just VTI and then maybe a bond fund. Yeah. So his portfolio is 75% VTI. And then um he puts he's older, you know, he's my age or older, I don't know, retired. 25% in a bond, you know, like a total bond market fund. So Harris, th there are certainly people that would say, yeah, that's a that makes sense. I I, I wouldn't say it's a bad way to go. I would just say I would be uncomfortable not having a little more diversity than that. Um, yeah, that's a great question, though. I, you know, again, th th this is really the struggle, and it's one I've had between keeping things simple, which is important, but also being comfortable with what you have, right? Uh, and so, I, I, you know, for me, uh, as simple as that would be. And um, it's just a little, it's just a little too focused for me. But that again, that's kind of a personal preference thing. I, I can't say the approach you, you're you're suggesting or what JL Collins has done, you know, is, is bad. Um, you know what Warren Buffett suggested. Probably I'm not going to say that was bad either. But you got so part of it is figuring out what you're comfortable with, and so. That is a big part of it. All right, gang. Uh, well, I hope everyone has a great week, a great Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I will have a few more videos out. I've got, uh, I want to do one on JEPI. That is what we call it, J-E-P-I. And what's the other one? There's another covered call. I get so many emails about covered call ETFs. Um, so we're going to do that. Um, and I've got a couple others that I plan to do. Just looking at my notes. I didn't do a portfolio review today. I totally forgot. Anyway, I will um, I will do one next week. Lord willing and the creek don't rise. I want to do one every week. I've got a whole list of them. I've got one from Josh, John, Kathy. Um, anyway, I will, I will do one next week. I'm sorry I forgot this week. So happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Have a great week. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I have to tell you. Tell you. There is a link below this video to the newsletter. It goes out every Sunday morning. And people really like it. And yeah, it's fun to put together. So check that out if you're interested. I guess that's it. So happy Thanksgiving. Have a great week. And we will see you next week. Same time, same bat channel. Boy, that's an old reference. Anyway, have a good one. Until next time, remember, the best thing money can buy is financial freedom. <laughs>